Maybe that's a feeling of agitation caused by the presence or imminence of danger. Why do you think people believe in ghosts? This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. You take the blue pill. The story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. than we ever thought possible. How big is that thing? It was the largest shark that ever existed. A living fossil. Thought to have been extinct over two million years. Wrong. He's kidding, right? That thing's out there. We need to find it and kill it. Why don't you just put a tracker on it? Did you guys ever watch Shark Week? Heroic, but it's kind of got a negative attitude. Chew on this, you ugly. One. All right. Uh.
Uh oh. Whoa, whoa. Shit. What the hell happened? It's like the start of a Nirvana concert. What happened? Did the microphone jack just come out or something? Oh, Dave awesome. finally blew it out. What right in the world? Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Inside Movies Galore. I'm David Struggy, and tonight we have a variety of hosts and uh, some, some surprise guests that we haven't had in a little while. So we're going to hand this over to uh, Jake, I believe it is, hosting tonight's movie, and that is The Meg, which came out in 2018. Whoa, what's going on? Dog whistle. Unfortunately, yeah. the movie is not about a giant Meg Griffin destroying everything. What in the? F I'm pretty sure Dave hey, just got assimilated by the board. I so think so. Oh, okay. I'm still here. Resistance is futile type situation. I am the vidious of the Borg. Resistance is futile. Anyway. But in any case, Jake, why don't you tell us a little bit about this the film yeah. this uh, that we are going to be talking about tonight and it is a big one it is a big one a very very large one 73 <laughs> in fact but um because imdb's description sucks i'm going to see if the one on the back of the blu-ray works better when a, <laughs> when a massive creature attacks a submersible the crew becomes trapped at the bottom of the pacific's deepest trench to save them from the clutches of the Megalodon, a prehistoric 75-foot shark once believed to be extinct, a visionary oceanographer uh, recruits expert rescue diver Jonas Taylor. Teamed with the oceanographer's daughter, Suyin, Taylor must try to outwit the greatest predator alive, a killer he's faced once before. That's a little better than IMDb's description. Um, so basically, the gist of this is... We have a movie about a bunch of scientists on a very intriguing uh, station, a research station in the middle of the western, or, or not the middle, but like the far western Pacific Ocean, and on what should be a gloriously celebrated dive to test a theory that there might be a whole other world beneath a thermocline at the bottom of what we believe to be the bottom of the ocean. A group of divers is sent down, uh, and yes, as we said, it, it, they get attacked and trapped at the bottom. The movie actually opens with Taylor's previous experience, which left him scarred. Is he the whole fucking movie? Oh, <laughs> this what? Oh, wait, I don't want to hear the game. No, no, we're not. We're going to hear a closer to the fucking... I don't want to hear what's going on. Ah, it's okay. So, that, with that basic setup, uh, why don't we start, is Kim joining us tonight? Is she, yes. is she <laughs> going to tell us about her first experience? <laughs> Okay, so my first experience with Meg was last summer 
with myself, Brandon, and Jake, and a few other friends, five other friends of ours, we rented a house in the Outer Banks. And I got stuck in the beach house for a couple of days working from working on my vacation. And was like, screw it. We brought a PlayStation 4 with us. I connected my HBO account and started watching the head. It was on the HBO account. And I'm not much of a fucking good time. <laughs> it's such a fun movie. Is it a good movie? No. Is it Oscar worthy? Hell no! Is it Fudge Pot? Yes! Oh, how about you, Berm? That's uh, a review. Well, my first exposure was uh, in a comic book seeing a picture of it getting ready to swallow a cruise liner. And I thought, well, you know, this might be fun. And then I saw Jason Statham was on it, and I said, well, that's also pretty fun. And then I heard that it really couldn't swallow the cruise liner, and I was, like, uh, disappointed. <laughs> but uh, then I found out that we were doing this, so it inspired me to go ahead and watch it. And after watching this one and Megashark vs. Giant Octopus back-to-back, -back, I can safely say this movie is actually quite a fun ride and uh, vastly better written than, than some certain films out there. Uh, namely, uh, Mega Shark versus Giant Octopus. <laughs> but I will say this. This shark does not take out a airplane in the middle of the air. And, and that, that, that is a shame. Lost it, does, it does just about everything else, but not that. <laughs> and not the cruise ship. I was promised a cruise ship, thank you. <laughs> yeah. There's a, there's a really bad TV movie called Shark Attack 3 Megalodon, where you do get to see that if you so really want it. <laughs> oh, well, how about you, Dustin? The effects are, uh, the effects are bad enough. There's something you could have probably done like yourself with just Windows <laughs> Movie Maker or whatever. It is very phony. Uh, well, or maybe some toy, maybe some toy sharks in a bathtub. <laughs> um, well, what that what that shark attack three does is they literally take like nature footage of a great white shark and like Photoshop shrink a boat into its mouth. It is unbelievably bad. Uh, but anyway, so I have a bit of a history kind of with the Meg as, like, a thing. So, it's based on a book that I Indeed. read a lot in elementary and high school. Uh, it's actually a book series. There are at least five of them. I've kind of lost track. Uh, and so, when this movie was announced, I was like, hell yeah, at last! Uh, because Steve Alton, the guy who wrote the Meg series, has been kind of saying, you know, movie coming soon! And we've been saying that for about 20 years. Like, it's it keeps getting stuck in, like, development hell. Right. Uh, and so, when it was finally, you know, announced with, you know... It was originally announced, I think, with a different director, uh, different actors. Everything was different. And then it changed, and it was like, well, as long as they still make it, like, I'll... You know, good enough. <laughs> you know? Uh, and then when it did come out, it was it was kind of underwhelming um i was still really happy with it like it was still like a fun like decent movie but it does differ somewhat substantially it does differ substantially from the book um which is just better um but i still really like this movie and recommend it pretty frequently so the shark itself looks really great um 
and there's kind of there's kind of a lot to like. Although one thing that really hamstrung it is, um, am I talking too long? No, you're good. Uh, one thing that kind of hamstrung it is they had to well with the funding that they had to get, so it pretty much became like a split like Chinese, I think American production. Right. Yeah. Uh, and so. <laughs> well, there was a lot of stuff that they couldn't do. Like they had, they had a lot of like gore footage that they couldn't use. Uh, it had to be PG thirteen, uh, so they had to pretty, they had to really tone a lot of it down. And I think you can probably tell when you see the movie. Yeah, well, that's just just for reference. Uh, American Chinese co productions are getting more and more common as mm. movies become more international and as China becomes a bigger part of the international market so obviously you know they're gonna you're gonna see more of those i mean like i think one of the first really big ones was the great wall if i'm not mistaken at least for the yeah, modern and era the and, and I, I, I like that more than most people i never got to see it i thought that looked really I heard cool. it was i heard it was all right it was just uh, it was just one of those things where it was one of really several good. like decent movies that you just I, I said another really in big, the theater. Another really big Chinese American production that I saw in theater was Kung Fu Panda Three. That was a fun one. <laughs> I know that China helped keep the Transformers series alive. That's fucking dick. The the point is that it's getting more and more. Right. It is. Warcraft, I think it's it's like you know, that's one of those movies that was successful because of the Chinese market. Uh, yeah. they're, they're a huge deal when it comes to re releasing movies, you know, well, especially just, big extravaganza movies. You and know. not just uh, not just releasing, but also now on the producing side, um, right. as evidenced by the Great Wall and this film, and probably more in the future. Um, and the um, what I, what, and with the advantage with that is that you do get to see more of an international presence for uh, a big movie like this, plus a setting that you never really get to see with with uh, stories like this, because usually we're so accustomed to the mold that uh, Jaws set with it being an American coastal city, and we've seen that. We've seen that a million times at this point with every shark film that it's kind of neat to see it. In. They missed an opportunity, I think, with this one uh, of not... Even though they were Chinese, they could have had them play it like it was Japan. Mm. Yeah. Well, I think in the book it actually is Japan. Yeah, right. Else so the book? No, I have not. See, okay, mm. I guess that's a good point to throw out my first impression. It's, it's, been, it's, it's been very many years since I've sat down with the book. Yeah, I've, I've never read the books. I've been intrigued by them. Uh, I went into this 100% they are good. being a movie, you know, that I knew friends of mine had read the books and said they were really good. And most of them were pretty much of the same opinion as Dustin. Like, it's still a fun movie. It's, you know, obviously, I think most people at this point that aren't fucking simpletons are f familiar with the idea of, like, it being an adaptation. The, the whole popularization of the remake fucking, or, like, uh, what do you call it, uh, based on terminology, I think, is the problem with that. If it was all adapted from and had stayed that way forever, I think people would be more accepting of the changes in remakes or adaptations, you know. 
because uh, this clearly is not trying to follow the book from what I've gathered. No. It's just taking the, the base elements of the book and making, like, a fun... It originally did, but they were kind of not allowed to do a lot of, like, the nastier stuff. Like, there's a lot more, uh, there's a lot more carnage in the book. Well, I'd love to see what they were, what they had to cut, too. Uh, but yeah, I, I liked it. You know, I thought it was fun. It felt a little too action movie for me at a certain point in, like, the final act, but I think that's what it's designed to do, or whatever, so. Right. Not complaining, just felt like it took a little bit away from the feeling of the first two-thirds of the movie, so that'd be my first impression. I mean, I guess if I thought about uh, 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 seeing a movie in, in the theater, this is one I would have wanted to see in the, uh, uh, in the theater, uh, but... Um, I didn't get a chance to see it in the theater. I waited for it to come out on the DVD and and saw the trailers rape the hell out of on TV until I finally bit the bullet and bought it. <laughs> so, uh, um, uh, I was I was entertained entertained with the movie. I mean, granted, when I read the book, I was like fairly young. I was like twelve. <laughs> so. Um, uh, for me, see, uh, seeing them recap the bu uh, uh, book somewhat uh, was at least entertaining. Yeah, they could have gone a little bit more gorier, because, yeah, I, I remember a lot more gore happening. <laughs> but, um, um, I think, uh, I think for the most part, we kind of got what we wanted to see uh, out of a... Uh, out of a megalodon. I mean, the the Carcaricus uh, megalodon is uh, what the scientific name of it is, if I remember correctly. It was Carcaricus, but I think they, they may have changed that. I feel like I read they changed that. I don't know. Did... Uh, Dane, have you done your first impression? Not yet. Um, I just gave the, the larger context for the American Chinese co-productions. But um, my first experience with the Meg was I went to, uh, this was years ago, but I actually have seen a real-life Megalodon jaw that was at an aquarium, um, and they showed how massive the mouth of a megalodon really was, and it's really, really, really big, like a, it could fit several grown men in there, no problem, and so, you know, they're not, they're not exaggerating when they're showing just how massive those things were, um, but as far as the film goes, um, I saw it actually just yesterday, I had wanted to see it in the theater, because I, I'm a fan of, you know, cheesy shark movies and things. I adore the Sharknado series and, you know, just things like that. Um, and it looked like, oh, look at that. It's like a big budget, you know, version of that kind of thing with, uh, you know, name actors in it and, uh, you know, big distribution and everything. Um, and I, for one reason or another, I never got to see it in the theater. I mean, you know, that was a pretty chaotic time in my life and it, continues to be chaotic, but in a different way, um, so I never got to see it, but I saw it yesterday, and, uh, I really dug it, I, um, 
I was impressed with not only the large scope of the film itself and how cool they made um, undersea underwater travel, which it is cool in real life, um, and uh, yeah, they made it look very cool. And also, um, I was pleased with. Um, I think the pacing was good. It was. I like John Turtle. I don't know if it's John Turtle Taub or Turtle Tub, however you pronounce it. Uh, but he's done a lot of good movies like Cool Runnings and National Treasure and While You Were Sleeping and things like that. He, he doesn't get a lot of credit. Uh, he also did Phenomenon. So, you know, he's done a lot of good movies. But um, I think this was a, a very good one to add to his filmography as far as being very large scale. Um, and most of all, I was impressed with how genuinely laugh-out-loud funny it was. Um like I was, I was impressed with the the good humor uh, in the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. Well, a lot of the jokes I thought were kind of um, I don't want to say cheap, but I I want to kind of <laughs> easy. I think that's I think that's maybe the the good way. It's like oh, easy. That's, oh uh, man, I can't swim. It's like ah <laughs> yeah. Try harder. Well, like. Well, I, I, I'm thinking more of, like, I mean, there were some that, uh, I thought you said cheesy at first, which I was like, that's the whole point, it's meant to be cheesy, but no, I think e- easy, yes, um, I could see that, but um, mm-hmm. I, I was impressed with, like, I thought Rain Wilson was really funny, and oh, like, yeah. um, I like him in anything, but, like, um, my one of my favorite parts was uh, when they blow up the what they think is the shark, but it's actually a whale. And they're like, yeah, is it dead? Do you have confirmation? He's like, yes, there are pieces of it all over us. And they just, <laughs> they just got, like, blower spray. <laughs> I know, I love that. And it's like, it's it's little moments like that that just made me laugh out loud. And, like, uh, you know, some of the uh, character interactions I thought were pretty darn good. Um, or how about what and even the easy jokes fit the movie. Yeah, or like, or like the... Well, the one that is very easy, not so much as a single joke, but as a character, is the um, the scared black guy trope. Um, oh, which is, so good. That yeah, that's that's unfortunate. I thought. Well, but that's that's actually what I was gonna say is like that is such a trope. But out of all of the ones like that, I think this is one of the better ones. Yeah, because he's <laughs> yeah. like, you can't swim, and he's like, why you, you pull that racist shit? And he's like, no, dude, literally, you like, work in the you middle work of the ocean. Under the ocean, like it, it was, was, it was funny. You know, yeah, like, well, well, like yeah. he, he really, I, I think that despite that being a trope, it they milked it pretty good because the actors yeah, were like, yeah, I'm a trope, I don't give a fuck, get me out of here, I quit. Well, that, <laughs> well, that, and it, it, looked, it looked like the actor really got uh, how to do that character well, like it yeah. didn't feel like it was like a, uh, a studio it, note, it felt well, like he really again. believed in it. <laughs> Like kind of organic, yeah. The black guy from yeah. Friday the Thirteenth, the remake, which I recently just watched, is a lot more egregious of an example of like a oh god, they forced this poor man to do like token black man moments, you know? Yeah, that's the thing. It's like yeah, that's a trope, but I think that guy really did a good job of selling it, and um, yeah. you know, and it's not like they you know. Afterwards, they didn't just leave it as a trope. They, they yeah, made it a, a joke. Well, and there and there are a lot of things like that in this film that could have been 
they're actually there's a lot of like tropey moments, but the mm-hmm. way in which they are written make them come across like they're either more sincere or more. Uh, they just have a different flavor than that, it would have ten years. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like y- you know, like the whole scene where they're getting um, Jason Statham to come back. You know, that's like right out of like something like Commando or something. Where, yeah. You know, the action star doesn't want to go back in action, but then all of a sudden there's some compelling thing, like a personal tie that makes him come out of retirement to do this thing. And it's like, we've seen that so many times, but... I gave that up. Well, and I actually, I, one of my favorite parts was that he's like, you're going to try to appeal to my better nature, but I don't have one. You know, so I'll say no. Or you're going to try this, and I'll say no. You know, it's like, so they're, they're already several steps ahead of us. And I'm like, okay. And it doesn't feel too fourth wall breaky but uh you know it's like okay they they know that we've seen we've seen movies like that you know that that kind of scene before so they didn't have to go down the same kind of road um you know what this movie reminded me of when i was thinking about it there was no coincidence that it came in a packet that included the two deep blue sea movies and when I saw this thing, my first thought was, I want to watch Deep Blue Sea again. And uh, I don't know why, but there's something about it. I guess maybe it's because they have that scientist in the lab. Well, like in Jaws, was it Jaws 3 that had the lab? Like, I with that. Jaws 3 had the other hey, I like I like Jaws yeah. 3. Jaws 3 had the deep arc. Yeah, people hate on it, but it's actually, I feel kind it's of... It's fun. Cool. And I didn't care all that much for Deep Blue Sea the first time I saw it, but I'm sure if I saw it now, I'd get more out of it. Deep Blue Sea is pretty awesome. Yeah. Well, yeah, so with this one, um, I actually did see this in theaters, and it was a specific... um, We were talking before about how there's more um, of of an Asian presence in Hollywood now with the co-productions with China and that sort of thing. But also, and of course, if you watch our channel, you know that I harp on this a lot. Mm -hmm. I feel that Hollywood has given Asian short trip for years. So Mm -hmm. I I like to see more and more. It just so happened that this was in theaters at the same time as the adaptation of the first of Kevin Kwan's books, Crazy Rich Asians. And I got it in my head that I have to go see these as a double bill. So I did. <laughs> and it was a very interesting bit of counter-programming. Okay. And they were both uh, Warner Brothers movies, too. But, um, and they have some interesting connections, not the least of which is they both feature interesting Asian covers of popular American songs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I'm oh, also, that Thai version of Hey Mickey or something. Yeah, exactly. Of course, the other one had uh, Chinese renditions of Yellow, Material Girl, and a couple other uh, songs. Uh, I like their version of Material Girl, actually. It was pretty good. But um, anyway, so this was... Uh, I went to see it thinking, oh, it'll be enjoyable. And I was impressed i did not expect to be impressed by it it's a good example of where sometimes when you set the bar kind of low you, 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 you set yourself for a better viewing experience 
Because I'm like, okay, the film's called The Meg, and it's a giant shark eats people. How good can it be? I, I did not legit pretty well, sweet. I, I did not realize it was based on a book when I went to go see it. <laughs> and, uh, in the book, the book has a lot more like outrageous moments in it. Like uh, so, it's not really a spoiler since this doesn't happen in the movie. But in the book, they kill it by his submersible is swallowed, and he gets out and like hacks its organs up from the inside. Like he carries, <laughs> he carries like a he carries a fossil meg tube with him. Really? And it's like the only sharp thing he has on him. So he basically uses it to like cut a hole in the shark's stomach. Yeah. Uh, he's in like a pressure suit, so he's not like killed by this. And How like, the fuck did they not do this in the movie? Because <laughs> <laughs> Shark Dado did it first. <laughs> well, the shark is, in the book, the shark is so big that you know, he can kind of swim around in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and he basically like slices its arteries with the with the fossil. Well, shark potato is, is what the Meg really should have been. Well, I mean, because y- you remember, he uh, goes inside the shark with yeah. the chainsaw and he cuts his way out. <laughs> but does it break through the Golden Gate Bridge? Um, problems with a chainsaw. I mean, Sharknado would rain down sharks on just about every major city in the world, so, you know, I, I, I should hope that that would count for something. <laughs> so, and anyway, <laughs> so basically with this one, um, we kind of did the basic overview, but it opens basically, you're talking about like those tropes, and this opens with like the trope of the kind of the action intense scene that kind of sets up, you know, some of the drama, kind of like Jurassic Park did with that opening raptor scene. You know, you get the the opening sequence of Statham is a rescue, he's like a, he rescues people who are trapped under the ocean, and he's unable to rescue all of them. Right. He and his crew are, they're unable to act quickly enough and he ends up having to shut the hatch and leave his crew and several of the people they were trying to rescue behind. But I think well, he leaves four and saves eleven. Yeah, yeah, he still saves a fair number. And of course, one of them is this uh, total dick who's the doctor called uh, Heller. And <laughs> Heller does not care for him after this. Uh, I don't. It's hard to tell if you liked him before, but he definitely does not. In seems like he probably didn't. It, it made the least sense to me out of the plot, where it's like this guy's yeah. a doctor. He totally understands that they already had a bunch of wounded motherfuckers too. Like it was yeah. eleven people yeah. up, four people dying. It's yeah. simple. So he blames what do they call it? Pressure, uh, pressure sickness, or whatever it is. He basically, yeah. like that. he basically blames him for panicking. And, and and not doing everything he could have done, and then of as course, if the entire submarine didn't blow up seconds after they detached. Yeah, which am I? Am I the only one who thought that everyone in the movie was way too hard on him? I mean, like, yes. yeah, I it mean, seemed, it seemed manufactured, like it yeah. wasn't. It yeah, didn't, well, didn't well I, I would, I would think any uh, whatever court martial or whatever, like if he adequately explain the situation as far as like, there was a limited amount of time and you know it was impossible to save 
everyone relative to, you know, what else was happening. You, you don't even have to mention that there was a giant shark. It's like, you know, time was ticking and it was either save most of them and live or, you know, get blown up saving none yeah. of them. You but know? you see, this is, where, this, is where he, this is where he apparently made the mistake. He did mention that he thinks there was some giant creature yeah, it was you know, and of course the doctor paints him as a nut job, and his wife doesn't believe him and leaves him, and then it costs him his job yeah. and all that kind of stuff. So then you flash forward to the present, and like I said, you have this really gorgeous looking station. I was sitting there and I'm going, who would have liked to get a job here? Yeah, it's, um, it's owned by like Ocean Elon Musk too. Right, I know. <laughs> Which, uh, if anybody's seen, sorry, to, well, if anybody's seen uh, Archer, uh, I don't remember which season it is, but there's a season where they're on like a sea lab kind of mm -hmm. thing with uh, Cheryl's brother, and their Elon Musk guy reminded me of Cheryl's brother character, of the Cheryl's brother character. Mm -hmm. Like he's kind of like not there, but he's like, I'm in charge. What are we doing now? Where am I? Right. <laughs> he has that kind of vibe to it. And uh, <laughs> Dave, Dane kind of alluded to this a little bit earlier. Uh, the movie has a really good use of space. Like the since a lot of it takes place like on open water, like it feels it feels like a very like large, wide movie, which fits. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. Even um, even well, that station they, has they make pretty it, big inner has pretty big like corridors. Like it feels open despite being an enclosed space. Oh, and they even they even do a pretty good uh, bit of in in movie uh, reference to the the space. Where Rain Wilson, of course, is the financier, the Elon Musk, as you say, Morris, and he is visiting this station because they're about to make this historic dive. They're not really done done with the station, but it's operational. And he walks in, and it's this kind of ugly yellow room. Looks like, really, it looks like a hospital elevator. And, and I believe he's standing with uh, Zhang and uh, the doctor Zhang, who's played by Winston Chow, and Su Yin, Zhang's daughter, who's played by Bing Bing Lee. And he basically is like, you couldn't afford a place that, it's something like you couldn't afford, yeah, he was like, you couldn't afford, uh, I don't remember how he said it, but he was very critical of the appearance. Yeah, oh, oh, a nicer oh, entrance. Yes, yes, like you want this to be the first thing people see, or you, you know, or couldn't you have a nicer thing? And then they're like, "Yes, we could." And they open the door, and you see the. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, so and, sweet. I agree with this point on the elevator. Like, right. Come, yeah, it looked like you know what it looked like. It looked like they probably like retrofitted a like oil oil drilling station and then put this brand new state of the art facility underneath. I mean, that, that's what it looked like to me. Um, <laughs> Big oil rig. <laughs> I mean, it, it looks like that's what they did. It looks like they just retrofitted it, which, you know, makes sense because it's already yeah. out there, you know. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. On that fucking light up with fish swimming underneath them or something. They took Deep Space Nine and, mm -hmm. and combined it with SeaWorld underwater. But in the way that, uh, the way that Morris is presented, I could see him doing that on purpose, like specifically 
Well, we got an abandoned oil rig. Let's turn it into a research station. You know, that kind of thing. Uh, and they kind of actually, Rain Wilson's character in this one, he reminds me a lot of the guy running the show, theoretically at least, in Jurassic World, the one who's played by Irfan Khan. In both cases, they're actually yeah, they're actually pretty likable characters overall. Yeah, yeah. Billionaires, so they're putting their profit above everyone else. You know, Rainbow's tossing around Centex at one point in this movie. At one point, yeah. I mean, as the movie goes on, you realize Morris does have a little bit of that almighty dollar to his personality, and it shows that he uh, he still. At least in a way, he cares about what he's doing. Um, and I do love Rain Wilson's performance. I thought he did a great job with this one. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I adore him as an actor because he can be extremely funny, but also he can do drama well. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, well, and I liked his character precisely for the reasons that you said that he he occupies that trope of the rich guy who's funding the thing who only cares about money and everything like that except that he is pretty likable on the whole and he doesn't seem like he is without compassion or understanding of what everyone's going through even when he doesn't make the necessary calls that he says he, he did you know you also but you also get the sense that he's not like faking emotions either you know like he's he almost seems like he's trying to um you know um whatever trying to humor people are trying to not make a bad situation worse mm -hmm. um and while also trying to do what he feels is best which is not only you know take out the shark for you know their financial uh, safety because i mean he's absolutely right that you know that that having that thing uh, out there in the open water would open them up to all kinds of lawsuits. I mean, right. he's not—he's not wrong on that level, but he also does seem like he wants to kill it, you know, because just you know, because that's what you know—he's trying to make this go away. But he's also—he, you know, to his credit, he's there in the in the helicopter, gonna drop the things on it. Um, so I mean, I, I like that he had more dimension to him than other characters like that. Plus mm -hmm. the fact that he. Um, actually had some useful ideas like putting a tracker on it you know and so he wasn't he wasn't just totally tangential and or without any kind of compassion and then it was like hey there you go he reminded me of like a stand-in for james cameron <laughs> kind of yeah like i didn't think no, do I believe James Cameron is there after all of the prep for those things that he's doing I think that he's there for whatever they're shooting in the documentary and then the end part of it, you know. I, I kind of, that's what I took away from Rain Wilson's character was he was like the James Cameron of it. Like, okay, you guys research, research this, but I'm just also kind of like an eccentric dude that will chuck fucking Semtex at this thing. <laughs> I didn't think that there were any major one-note characters in this film overall. Or at least none of the main cast, I would say. Maybe some of the side ones, but again, I felt like everybody had a little bit more of a twist to them than you might normally expect. Right. Like, it wasn't just the, oh, rich, corrupt, evil dude. Um, 
generic action guy. Uh, yeah. Who is perpetual victim. In <laughs> uh, one of the special features I saw, they made a point of saying that we're used to seeing Jason Statham in action roles, but this is more of an adventure role. And I'm thinking, no, that's not inaccurate. That's actually, a, this is a little bit more of an adventure film than a straight action. Yeah. Uh, in, a, in some ways. But the, uh, so you also have, uh, in this room, uh, we mentioned, you know, Jean is sort of like the lead scientist. He's the one whose theory they're all working on. And actually, there is this great part where, where it's like, he's like, this is the part where you find out if you wasted $1.3 billion, and Rain Wilson's like, he's kidding, right? Oh, I love that. And he's like, like are you serious? Uh, that guy's like, yeah. 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 <laughs> that was really funny. And, uh, well, and that also, you, you can kind of understand why he's so gung-ho to, to find something that he can uh, monetize in some way, just because he's got so much on the line. And, I mean, the way that he phrases that doesn't exactly feel the inner businessman inside of it doesn't exactly fill it with confidence. You know? right. um, it's not so, the I mean, type of thing you fund unless you have some interest in it yourself. Right. Yeah. You know, which, um, like, if, you're, if I was just a billionaire, like, just, okay, like, if I'm just going to, like, if I let my drunk brain control me, I'm pretty much just going to buy casinos or, like, you know, the things billionaires buy, right? I think like, this would be more speed, actually. So by the fucking you know whatever arena they're having the Super Bowl in this year, and just name it Big Dick Dome or something. <laughs> like, and I can afford to do it. When I think of guys like this, you know, Rain Wilson's character, he obviously did this because he had some at least childhood interest. And yeah, and actually, and you get a bit of that, and I actually enjoyed this part with um, when we're introduced to the people in the sub. Uh, and we're introduced to, to Lori, who is actually Jonas's ex-wife, you come to find out, played by Jessica McNamee. Mm -hmm. And they talk about her background, and, uh, and, and, and she apparently, uh, what, she made a homemade torpedo to blow up a whaling ship, I think it was? Well, she was basically yeah. part of that thing. You, well, right. That fucking organization you see in that reality show about, like, anti-whaling. Right. But anyway, so she tells him about that, and then he kind of makes the whole side well, but that was a good hire. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, so you know, he's got a little bit of a, 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 a boat in that race, as it were. And then, of course, in the sub, we also have Olafur Dari Olafsson playing a dude called The Wall, and you have Masioka Hiro. And <laughs> <laughs> I it's love like, that guy. Joshi is my favorite. Those two dudes are my favorite characters in the whole. I, I love that guy because he plays the uh, uh, the he plays the medical examiner on Hawaii Five O in the, at least the first two seasons of the new uh, new uh, the new. Yeah, he, was, he was hero on Heroes, right? Yes. Yeah, and yeah. I think he was. I think he was in uh, the movie version of Get Smart as well. So, Which is yeah. so weird, dude, because like three out of the four movies I watched recently also had hero alumni in them as like yeah. main cast. You know? That's pretty neat. Which uh, not to not to get too far afield, but just as we were introducing uh, characters, you had the. Uh, main scientist and his daughter, which, but when they're first introduced, 
I swore that I thought they were husband and wife. Your <laughs> <laughs> father looks like she could be her. I mean, no one learned lately reviewing like Japanese movies is that half the time I assume that the husband and like the the younger lady are father and daughter. Uh. And then I learned later that no, that's actually like a husband and a wife. So that's kind of the opposite situation. So with all this, it's Japanese society, man. Like, and especially depending on where you're looking at it, up they're real reserved, so you can never tell. Yeah, well, the uh, I just I thought I remember like she's like, what? That's her father? Wow, they look like they could have been husband and wife, because uh, he really did not look that old to me. Um, he's not that old. I mean, you know, he's. Uh... Let's see, Winston Chow, always born 1960, so yeah. he's... Well, she's like, she, uh, the Lee Bing you know, she's like 40-something, but boy, does she not look it. I know. Yeah. In Japanese movies, again, they tend to be a little more reserved, so... She was born 70, so... Forgiven for mistake in the relationship, because they're not exactly, like, making out or fucking every other scene. Yeah. So he's about 13 years older than her, I think. Yeah, anyway. well, no wonder I got confused, because that's really not a large gap. Right. And, well, and plus, she, she looks a lot younger than she actually is. Right. And then, of course, uh, you know, she's a scientist like he is. And, of course, they're joined by her little girl, who's played by Shuya Sophia Kai and is called Mei Ying. And Mei Ying is best character. She is hilarious. Yeah, we loved her. Yeah, she she was very cute and was not annoying, which is I don't like a very good forced, thing for. Like, a, I don't like the forced Asian accent thing. It feels like they told her to talk with like a, you know what I mean, like that. It is a little bit. It feels like they told her to talk with like that broken talk. I, like I don't for a minute feel like that little girl doesn't sound just like my kid if I'm sitting next to her. You know, like she, you could feel that fucking fluent Englishness in her. Well, apparently, well, apparently, but she's so young. You know, apparently she's born in China, but she's got a Chinese mother and a British father. So yeah, dude, that kid is totally not speaking like that. I'm yeah, but she would have an accent anyway. You cut it. I mean, she might have yeah. a British accent, but she yeah. good, you could tell she's a good enough actor. I bet oh, you yeah. she could have thrown it to an English or an American one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, she's also a little kid too. So I mean, kids don't yeah. necessarily have like the. Most perfect sentence structure or anything like that. Yeah, so. let's, let's, let's she definitely did not have that broken, stereotypical Chinese accent like they gave her in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 well, I but, but even then, it wasn't anywhere near as bad as I've seen it in other movies. Yeah. So, True. Yeah. A good example, a recent film that I thought was a great film in almost every way but I was deeply disturbed by how stereotypical the accent of the main character, uh, Hong Chao, in uh, Alexander Payne's Downsizing. I mean, that was a good example of one where it was like, did she want to do this? Did the director tell her this? Well, no, she actually, I, I know the answer to that. I yeah. haven't seen the film episode, but I did see it. 
But yeah, she but she said that she she said that she based it on I think her own parents and right. people that she knew. She did um, say that, and I'm just but watching it, it just feels cringy because it's so on the nose. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's like, yeah. Yeah. don't do it, you know. If you don't normally talk that way when you're not, like, forcing yourself to talk proper, then you probably shouldn't do it. But it's, it's, a weird thing because, it's a weird thing because, like, you have, uh, you know, like, Oprah Winfrey saying similar things about, like, the kinds of characters in, like, Tyler Perry movies or something that, oh, these are people that I've really known. And it's like, okay, well, that may be true, but is that necessarily the right path to take for this film, you know? It, um, it, it's like there's a fine line between representing life as it is or as you've experienced it versus, uh, you know, what do you want to put into this film in a way that people will understand it or relate to it or whatever and have it not be misunderstood, you know? Yeah, and see, that's the thing. I, th- I think... Even where the stereotyped characters are coming from, I mean, maybe this is like a white guy approach to it. it probably mm-hmm. is, but I feel like I've heard other people of different ethnicities have fairly similar con- conversations with me about it. Uh, a stereotype is funny in the right place, you know. Yeah, in the right, right, I mean, right context, it, it is funny. You know, uh, it, it, it can't. It can it can be, but also, like, stereotypes of all kinds, like, they tend to, at least in their origins, they tend to come from some form of reality, but then right, they but just then it, gets fucking, exactly. it, like, it's, it comes from a place of prejudice, maybe. But then you have, like, fun stereotypes get adopted by the people, you know? Yeah, well, but what, what I was saying, like, they, at least the base... The basic elements, like they come from some place in reality, but then they just get distorted the more times that they get, you know, talked about or portrayed or whatever. And then eventually yeah. it's like, well, who knows? I think that's what, like, you know, a stereotype for whatever race can be fucking funny if it's used at the right point with the right context behind using it, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's why we find black movies funny. Not to call them black movies, but that's the only, as far as I know, like black exploitation and that type of shit. That's the only title for them, you know. What's uh, actually? Uh, let's go back to something on the uh, on this when it comes sure. to the little kid. There is one point that we're all that we're all close to, but we're missing. Is this is a child. Right. In a movie like this, and the child one is not used as a oh I did something stupid you need to come save me. Right. The child is also not stupid mm-hmm. for the most part, and the child is not persistently dragging the plot down like most children. Right. Now. If you look at those things, yeah, there are some things there. I mean, there's that whole bit about the uh, black guy not being able to swim. That's, uh, which is, you know, it's handled in a way that's actually <laughs> humorous instead of just being like token black guy moment, you know. Uh, yeah, the, 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 the dialogue and the actor, they both really sell it because they make it seem like this is a real human being saying this and not a cardboard cutout, you know. Right. 
and I'm sure your wife would agree, Brandon. Like, there's ways we can all come together and make those jokes without them being fucking offensive, you know? Mm-hmm. Without yeah. them being, like, really discriminatory. It's just all of us making fun of each other for, like, our stereotypical traits, you know? And I think in the right context, that shit's funny. Mm-hmm. Also, also the, uh, the thing I really liked that uh, kind of a, a movie trope that he they thankfully don't result in pretty important character being where Statham gets in the submersible and the girl is there and you think, oh boy, this is going to be the, the moment where she's the stowaway and, you know, what are you doing here? And, you know, oh, I, I came to save my mommy. Yeah, it wasn't anything like that. She's actually yeah. pretty sharp and they have some pretty good you know, intelligent conversations and was down. Um, and you know, she she doesn't do like obviously stupid things to put herself in danger, and she doesn't like have a you know list for weird speech uh, mannerisms to try and make her cute or anything. Yeah, uh, she's like, there. She's there as a character in the story, like everybody else. It's not like a kaiju movie where they put some annoying kid that can't act and can basically just yell Godzilla at the top of their mouth. And also, also she's probably a slight nod. There's a lot of nods, I think, scattered throughout the film that are probably direct or indirect nods to both Jurassic Park and Jaws. And I think her presence is a little bit of a nod to Jurassic Park. And I think it's a lot less annoying than those much kids. Much less than annoying for those kids. Yes, much less annoying. No, no, go ahead. For me, the little girl, she was a waste of a character. She, I get like put him in like a king, blah, 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 but she really served no purpose. And you know who else didn't serve a purpose to me? Yeah. Her ex wife. That character could have been someone else to Jonas. She could have been his sister, his best friend, whoever. You've already seen it in other movies with a rescue subplot, like Vertical, what was it called? Vertical Limit, where Chris O'Donnell is going to save his sister at the top of like Niagara Falls, not Niagara Falls, I mean, K2 or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, I understand why they had her as his ex-wife, and then so he's like, "If you have with a Jason Statham, his face is like a well-worn saddle and shit, you know." If I'm a man, if he was in my presence, I'd throw my panties at him. Yeah, but you have the, he has the ex-wife, but at the same time, you have this supposed undercurrent love plot between him and the English. I don't get that. It's confusing as hell. And one thing that was sadder, Dustin, you can probably tell us better because you've read the book, but uh, I understand they changed her dramatically from the version in the book and that that one was more antagonistic. Um, In the book, I think her character, so I actually didn't catch her name, so it's a little uh, fuzzy. (laughs) In the book, I think her character is... A friend of Jonas's. Um, Jonas is more of a scientist in the book than like an adventurer. Um, and in the book, his wife is having an affair with his friend, and 
his wife is killed very violently by the shark in the book. Ah. Uh, it's actually kind of like one of the big like set pieces. Oh, um, yeah. Which, uh, maybe he says something about the knowledge there. But, uh, <laughs> but um, in the movie, she doesn't really do uh, a whole lot other than kind of like incentivize him to, you know, come to the rescue. Well, I, I, yeah, well, yeah, I was going to say, I wanted to interject there. I think as far as, like, the purpose that she and the girl, the little girl served, um, I think they're probably, those two characters, at least functionally, are probably the most, um, you know, storytelling devicey out of all of the characters, but the function that they serve is to try to make it more okay for Jason Statham to realize that he doesn't have to self-isolate and that he can move on and can embrace more of a, you know, kind of family man type role um, more so than he's used to. And and I, I like that even though it's implied that their relationship uh, was very volatile, that um, I, I like that at this point in their relationship that they don't, like, really despise each other or like they can't be in the same room or something like there's still there's still like some there's still some element of uh the, the love that they once had but she's also kind of giving him the permission to uh move on with his life and to not have to feel any more beholden to the past you know so i think that that's the the function that they both serve um but uh, I, I will concede that they both are the most uh, plot devicey of the characters um, in terms of their function. I feel you, dude. I just think that's entirely inappropriate to put in the middle of a giant shark movie. <laughs> they kind of inject, some, they kinda inject some drama into it for it's just they do take the the dramatic plots, the human plots, like out of the novel's storyline, because a lot of it is like, you know, it's like, I think my wife is having an affair, and there are a lot of scenes of his wife, like, cheating on him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so that's where a lot of the human conflict kind of comes from in the book. I don't know that the movie needed to be two hours long. Right? Well, I mean, I guess that it comes down to, like, you know, you could have had a lot more of that and not as much in the way of shark carnage, or you could, or you could have gone full blown and had it be a shark depress. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, it it could be. I, I think that they achieved a decent balance of giving it some kind of human, yeah, some kind of human emotional anchor while also giving it some good giant shark action. The padding in this one felt much less oh, yeah. like. Adding than in uh, oh, Mega Shark versus Giant Octopus. Yeah, I was I mean, gonna say, <laughs> Mega Shark showed me what uh, how bad padding can be in a movie between. Oh, yeah. This is like a fucking. This is like a well insulated sleeping bag and fucking. <laughs> you know, Mega Shark versus Octopus is like one of those sheds your dad over insulates or something. Yeah. So it's all for three and a half feet thick. So it's interesting. Speaking, hold on. Speaking of tropes and how to give them some kind of humanity and stuff, I just this just came to me. But I thought about. um, Forgive me if I'm pronouncing his name wrong, but John Turtle Tub. Let's just say nobody knows. I don't know either. But um, 
just thinking back to some of the other films that he's done that I mentioned, um, you know, like Phenomenon, like uh, Natural, National Treasure, Cool Runnings, you know, um, these are these movies have characters that do, f they occupy tropes, and yet the scripts manage to, uh, and the direction, they manage to extract enough uh, genuine humanity out of them, and some surprising elements of either depth or um, believable character interactions to where they can rise above their tropiness. Um, exactly. So that's, that's, that's an oh, oh, and that's a and that's a point in his favor because you know otherwise these characters would feel very cardboard, and yet they're able to serve that story function and um, still feel like people, and I just noticed that he's done that with his other films as well. Right, I mean, that's, that's kind of something, sorry, but uh, that's something that, like, you basically worded way better than I, I could. Uh, mm -hmm. it's, it's, the stereotypes can be funny if they're handled in the right context with the right people doing it, and they do something like that, you know. Well, they they make it more than what it is, you know. Well, and and those other films I mentioned, they were all very different genres. Right. Like if you guys ever watched Key and Peele on Comedy, uh, that's a great example of dudes that do like that type of humor, where it's taking the stereotypes and blasting them to the point where they're ridiculous, and then mm -hmm. also making them like make a little sense at the same time. Mm -hmm. you know, um, I, I think I personally think some of the writing for the character development was kind of watered down to make them a bit more simplistic because wasn't this isn't this dubbed into Chinese like how exactly was this shot see that's you know what I mean I was wondering about some of the dialogue seems off a lot of it seems kind of simplified I think I think so um, I think that, that, that wouldn't surprise me honestly I mean actually um, there is a precedent for it which is that the more that films are internationalized and the more that they have some very different countries and cultures, you know, making them happen financially, the more that you do have to simplify things to make them translate, uh, not just language-wise, but culturally. For sure. Like, there's some, like, off-brand sort of great value 80s action movies where you can see the fact that they wrote it so that it can be easily dubbed. Yeah. yeah, well, and also, um, even before the, like, let's say, Chinese-American co-productions, even before that, um, you could start to see that happen in, like, the 2000s, where movies were, the, the international marketplace was more of the overall market share, and so therefore, concepts that could easily translate, like, action or horror or sci-fi, you know, those tended to do well across, um, you know, the different borders and everything, so yeah, I think that there's, a, there's a decent precedent for that. Cyclically, you know what I mean? Like, we're yeah. back again, like, 20 years later in, in a cycle where horror is doing really well, mm -hmm. and then we're going to die off again for a bit, and then we'll see it come back again, like, 10 years from now, you know? All right, so real, real quick, I want to pull this back, because we're up on an hour, and we still haven't even finished the characters. <laughs> So yeah. I did want to at least make sure we mention a couple of the other characters. Um, yeah, we talked we we a lot about characters in a movie where the characters, yeah. in my opinion, are kind of thin for the most part. 
Oh, what about the shark? What about its feelings? What, what about <laughs> oh, the shark? The shark is dope. So they, uh, they. I don't know how accurate per se it could have been because we don't really have any idea what Megalodon's body looked like. We can only kind of guess from its teeth that it was essentially just like a giant great white. Yeah. But they made it. Um, they made it kind of craggy, like very rough, like not smooth. Like it looked. Uh, Weathered, I guess, is the term. Yeah. Like an creature. Which I understand. Well, even... there are a lot of deep sea fish that have that sort of, I guess you could say, almost a flabby look. Like they're not as sleek and streamlined as your shallow water fishes. It's a pressure um, adaptation. Right. Well, yeah. and, well any, any kind of shark like that, they're pure muscle. All right. Well, I think the factor here that the okay did this come out before or after James Cameron thunked his fucking stupid little bell thing down on the bottom of the? It was after, I think. Ooh, um, and there's no excuse for that because there the, is definitely like solid ground down there. The um, the oh, thing that like a weird trench. The thing oh, that I'm been a huge source of, I mean, if you follow, like, well, they were not at all for, like, they were like, for Conan Doyle's version of the trench. Like, mm. you know, well, you know, but some, I mean, something, something that, uh, saw, like, on video, that stupid little diving bell thing they put down there thunk down, and then it was, like, massive sediment, you know, like, it's for sure a yeah, like, sunk into the into the gun. There, there, was yeah. one thing, there was one thing they did, they talk in the bonus features about how there was a lot of room for uh, interpretation when it came to what a megalodon would look like and act like and whatever. Definitely. They mentioned that it would have extra gills because of, to make it easier to breathe, which I know some of the, like, six and seven gill sharks are deep sea sharks, so I guess that makes sense. Um, okay. The, the only thing that really makes no sense whatsoever that they went with with the movie was the counter shading, which they kind of did, I guess, to make it look more familiar, more shark-like. But it makes no sense. Uh, <laughs> but I believe oh. in the book it was supposedly white, <laughs> so that was kind of an interesting. Oh yeah, in the in the book, uh, these sharks are basically like albino like they practically glow like there's a lot of talk about how you can kind of you can kind of tell they're coming because there's like this very vivid glow it makes it makes sense though it makes sense though because i mean uh creatures that are like in caves or in deep ocean water like they there's not a lot of light so they're either completely albino or even like transparent in some, or translucent in some ways, or bioluminescent or whatever, um, so that would make sense, um... I mean, that's freakier to me than, like, a big-ass great white yeah. shark. Which, hey, 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 here's, here's, a, here's an idea, x-ray shark, how about that for the next shark? Well, can you imagine, like, if you got a 70-foot shark covered with green photophores, how creepy that could be? <laughs> That would be. Which... That is the little references to other, like real life cases in Meg. Uh, no, what's that? Real life cases of what? Sure. When the Chinese girl takes the the glider down, mm -hmm. it's 
uh, I forget the first name, Roy, something. It's labeled after the dude that supposedly flew into the... Oh, yes, um, yeah. like he supposedly uh, flew into the fucking hollow earth and shit. Yeah. So when she takes it, it's real subtle, but when she takes it down, it says, like, you know, blah, 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 Richard Bird on the side. That's kind of a neat touch. Um, yeah. Well, one, one, one quick thing just before we get too far away from it, but, like, I was saying with the the fact that you were saying that the shark looked weathered, um, I could definitely believe it if it was the apex predator down there, and obviously, and uh, and obviously, um, apex predator of, of the ocean waters when when it was you know more common. But also, um, if you remember from uh, Jaws, when they were saying they're not even necessarily sure how old sharks are, you know, so for all we know that those or those two megalodons that we see you know for all we know they could well yeah but for all we know they could be really really old you know at least yeah, several yeah. hundred years you know articles about sharks being hundreds of years old some of them yeah that's I, what he's talking about dude i personally think no. that's maybe more speculation because it would be pretty difficult to really check um, well, that's that's, that's exactly my point. Like, Informed uh, speculation. So I'm. That's, I don't know as much about sharks as I do other animals. I that's my very much. That's exactly my point, though, is um, that you know because we don't know, you know, for all we know, that thing could be several hundred years old, and you know, could be like the you know the heavyweight champion of the uh, deep oceans. Yeah, <laughs> you know. And that's why, you know, the, 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 undisputed, uh, the undisputed heavyweight champion of those waters, you know. So, um, just kind of an interesting thing to throw out there. For all we know, that could, those sharks would be really yeah, Just for a little bit of comparison, there's eels that are alive in lakes in England that were there when World War One happened or some shit. Yeah. Well, and there's, like, sea turtles, I think, that are really old, too, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So those eels have been kicking around there like, what the fuck are these guys doing? These, <laughs> these creatures are still alive up on the surface. <laughs> Shut up. No wonder we don't come to the surface very often. Yeah, we're just chilling out being eels down here. Fun fact, Steve Alton has a lot of other books, and one of his better ones, uh, at least that's my favorite, is um, the lock so his it's about the Loch Ness monster his version of the Loch Ness monster is pretty much a giant eel so mm. kind of relevant to uh, it's a very good book too that um, sounds and I could I could buy that a lot more than I could buy necessarily a plesiosaur even though um, obviously oh, those awesome. those those did exist, obviously, so... We don't you know, know but, they don't somewhere out there, you know. It's called yeah. Lock. You can so check it out. Over, you know. But, I mean, yeah, I could buy a giant eel, um, for sure. <laughs> so, uh, shall we do some more on the plot? <laughs> well, so the, shark is, the shark gets... So... They pull off the, six, the undersea rescue successfully. Right. Um, they take a moment to kind of ooh and ah at the crazy environment down there. They're attacked, by a, they're attacked by a giant squid, and that's how they reveal the shark. The shark kills the squid, mm -hmm. which it was a pretty it was a pretty squid. 
which which and giants and giant squids just very quickly giant squids were thought to be creatures of myth for quite a long time until not too long ago they discovered one you know that was real so yeah get into all this later but uh, i'm i'm fairly certain you're familiar with like the bloop or whatever and things oh yeah there's definitely Creatures out there. In the There's ocean. stuff down there we haven't seen yet. Uh, you, you mean like those uh, those unexplained uh, disturbances in the water, like the noises? You mean? Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no. The bloop is um, basically this thing that just kind of appears, like on radar signal, radar signature sometimes. Yeah. And they've determined that it comes from like a biological thing, right, Dustin? Uh, I believe that they've always thought that the bloops were organic in origin. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's uh, we know more about outer space than we do about the deepest parts of our oceans. So, I mean, you know, the, uh, as far as we know, the sky, or I was going to say the sky's the limit, but actually the ocean's the limit as far as what could or couldn't be down there. feeling that we're like the dandruff living on the fucking the scalp, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like we're just out here doing what we do, and uh, I don't. Or like the hairlines, something like that. <laughs> Wait, yeah, I mean, there's, but there's so much down there that we have yet to even scratch the surface of. I mean, you know, the when when they do go down into those thermal vents, like you do see an anglerfish, which those were always my favorite. Um, when I would see the uh, deep sea exhibits at the Monterey Bay Aquarium, but. Uh, Exactly. If I ran across that in the ocean, I would absolutely die of fright. Yeah. That's the thing that they're skimming right out of the surface? Yeah. I mean, I'm not going down there at all. Now, so, imagine, like, a giant one of those, you know, and imagine how scared you'd be. That's the fucking hard. thing that you pull up, like, first, the second try? Nope. <laughs> that, that, that membrane for the first time that's just a really cool scene uh, to me it's right up there from when they first uh, show like the the real entrance to the lamb that just is a just a really cool scene seeing all that open up into that uh, to its own underwater world well it made the most sense when we came out of there and it was like they explained how they created a thing where the sharks could get out or whatever and that, yeah. that was cool. it made some sense of it you know? yeah well the, the whole thing like uh, I have to if there's one thing that you have to give the movie credit they really did I mean obviously it's heightened but like they did make undersea exploration look really cool which it is cool in real life you know and that's but like to the average movie going audience they made it look cool and appealing yeah. and it's like I could see like a kid seeing that movie and they would want to go into marine biology or something you know like, yeah. that's, and that's good because we need more people doing that um, and I might have who knows I might have done that in another life but even in Titanic uh, uh, when they uh, they were uh, starting to discover the the, uh, the Titanic at the beginning of the mo uh, movie, they made sea travel look cool. You know? and, and it was even cooler because that. It was even it was even cooler because that whole uh, under the sea footage that was all real from 
years earlier when they did send a submersible down there to go f- look at the Titanic wreckage, uh, kind of oh, as research. They, they did but, that in the 90s. That was in the 90s, I think, right? When yes, it was. Yeah, so, that expedition. yeah, it was like the mid-90s, and they did a, like, first thing even before a single... Uh, frame of the film was shot, but uh, in the Civil War, probably oh, why people were interested. Oh. Yeah, exactly. Dude, I'm not gonna lie though. Like undersea shit is my, uh, it's a huge phobia for me. Jaws still to this day gets a reaction for me in terms of like fright. You know. Oh, like speaking of 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 Jaws, that that just takes me back to the to the uh, to the glass. Uh, like, thing that uh, that uh, when she's getting swallowed into it, yeah, that part fucking was giving me such anxiety because again, like that's a fucking real phobia for me. It's like being swallowed by something. When I I saw that scene, I was like, maybe they should just let it swallow it because as big as the shark is, that cage was pretty big and it was indestructible, so it probably would have just choked on that. Yeah, I was too, wouldn't that have been I, funny if <laughs> you had to do like the show time? I did, uh, I kind of did some, Dude, some research on that how much I would when they freak were, out if I was inside something like that. When they were talking about like the bite pressure, like I looked into that and it's like, oh yeah, you would need like 90,000 to get in here. And I was like, what could Megalodon do? Because the strongest bite force I knew of was like the Nile Crocodile, and I think prehistoric, what I knew was the Tyrannosaurus Rex, which is like 20,000 or something like that. And apparently estimates put Megalodon at 40,000, so it uh, it wouldn't have gotten into the... It wouldn't have been able to break the cage, but it could have done a lot more damage to the cage. Than uh, the dude, that's the thing. Like, if you watch stuff on sharks or, like, even, like, big, big animals like uh, anacondas, like, most of the time, you're still alive when you go in there. Well, and I, I would have died pretty fast. I would have imagined. Yeah, 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 I don't know, man. I, I think when you get eaten by a shark, you're alive like, uh, for like a good third of it. You know, the digest, the, the, the digestive, you would, uh, you would bleed out like. Well, being swallowed, I'd, I'd much rather get chewed up in the ocean, just old school style, than get swallowed by like a massive shark. That to me. The digestive enzymes would have probably done their job, if not bleeding out. Look at Anaconda, like, it actually can't swallow you unless it's killed you first. And to be honest, if you really thought about it, remember that creature out in the desert in in Star Wars Return of the Jedi? Oh, uh, yeah. That's the my fear of being, like, sucked into a creature and slowly digested. It's not like it's its own can of worms. Uh, actually, yeah. <laughs> I fucking like it. Say something here. We've already moved past the top. Yeah, but we passed it. Oh, sorry. We missed it. We won. <laughs> what did we okay. miss? So, again, yeah, so it's, yeah. uh... Bring us to heel, Jake. <laughs> so, basically, um, as we kind of alluded to, uh, I did want to men- mention that the, uh, this is where we lose Toshi, because, of course, he saves himself to rescue the, uh, Kills himself to rescue the others. And the, uh, the, like you said, the shark gets out, but they don't know it right away. They find out when you get the little girl wandering through the hallway, and she looks up, 
and she sees this great big thing looking right back at her. And it takes for that as that jaw sna uh, snap to happen, you know? You know what's going to happen there. Yeah. You know, it's not from the trailer, but honestly, I think sold most people who like this movie almost know me. It's still one of my favorite scenes. It's pretty cool. I'm pleased that even though it left a pretty intimidating bite mark, I'm pleased that the glass held and it didn't, you know, well, that that was refreshing because, like, you know, it's it wasn't like a King Kong situation. Like, these chains are made of chrome steel and breaks them right away. You know, it, it wasn't like that. It's like, hey, this glass actually did what it was designed to do. Look at that. Even though it has this, you know, beautiful bite radius around it now. Dude, uh, one of my favorite parts was when that little baby whale came poking its nose up against that, and she's like, where's the mother whale? Oh yeah. yeah. That baby fell in half, like right in front of her. Like, oof, destruction. Oh, yeah. And uh, I, the, only, the only thing that I um, would ask, which you know, probably Dustin could tell us, but um, which it, it's a great shot, you know. So the thing, uh, the megalodon approaches slowly from the murky depths, and you see it slowly get into focus. And then it just kind of stops and looks at her before taking a bite out of the um, the window there. Um, now, from what I recall, um, sh well, obviously sharks need to keep moving forward to keep the uh, water moving through their gills so that they don't die and all that stuff. And they, they even, I think that they still swim while they're even sleeping, which they don't even really sleep in like the traditional way. So, like, basically what I was asking is, like, he, he seems to, like, he, she, it, you know, seems to, like, pause and get that nice, like, you know, few seconds of, uh, you know, uh, getting his close-up for the camera before taking a bite. And I'm like, you know, wouldn't you have to keep swimming to just keep breathing or, you know, I don't know. But, um... Well, it took off right afterwards. And yeah. You know, if you look at it in terms of something that it's like a so big. It did, like, a pause and strike. Yeah, I yeah, guess. Yeah, it was a curiosity bite, like they say with sharks, you know. Yeah, sharks do do that. I think Jake might, know, Jake might know slightly more about sharks than me, but I think that was probably fine, like, behavior-wise. Uh, you know, uh, I'm a big shark weak freak, and then because of Jaws and stuff scarred me so much as a kid. <laughs> honestly, dude, I cannot swim in the ocean. Well, yeah, that was just something that under, stuck out to me anyway. I think that falls under, let's call it artistic life. Creative, creative freedom. <laughs> yeah, well, it, was just, it was something I noticed, but then... It didn't seem to, like, stop completely. It right. seems to just, like, really slow down. Like, it was yeah. still very steadily approaching. Yeah, just uh, like, okay. a, just like a, like a slight like approach pattern, almost like a helicopter kind of... The something so big. So yeah. Slow, I well, I think that uh, partially actually, would yeah. depend on uh, what kinds of gills it had. If it had, uh, if it had like pumping gills or just like ram gills, which uh, ram gills are where to move water through the gills. Like, uh, I'm, I might be misremembering. It's been a decade since I had the ichthyology course, but ram gills are the kinds of gills that <coughs> they work just by the, the fish swims. Right. And, like, pump gills, like, the fish actually, like, pumps water through the gills. It looks, it looks like, at least from when they had the one, um, megalodon corpse on the deck, you know, it looked like those gills could have been 
powerful enough to kind of pump some degree of water in, but I mean... I don't think they're the same type of gills that doesn't... I, I think it, it's more it, likely that the force check it, like of that big of an animal going against the thing maybe like kicked back some fucking yeah. thing, and it was able to like... Because sharks, you know, again, you gotta translate that like long thing into like a split second thing for like a smaller shark, you know? Well, yeah, I was gonna or say like that fly. Well, and, and also, like, just the fact that the whole thing is so big, yeah, it probably yeah. got a decent amount of water in there already, but, um, yeah. the, but then, yeah. uh, another observation, this is more, um, any shark film that I, I've watched, uh, not just this one, but, like, you've noticed that in movie logic, anytime a shark appears, they're always hungry, and they always want to go after whatever the main character is, even if, uh, or whatever character we're talking about, even if that character is considerably smaller than the shark, and I'm like, you know, yeah, isn't that a little... always comes out of the water. Yeah, well, but, like, what I was thinking is, like, isn't that a little bit like running a marathon just to get a crouton or finger food at the end? You know, it's not even like, yeah. uh... Yeah, like, I could get it if it was going after, like, say, the giant squid, because that's, like, a decent meal, Um but then, you know, there are ones that, like, they'll go after, like, uh, a really small animal, or even, like, that dog towards the end, I'm like, would, would that, yeah, it's like the dog, yeah, like, yeah, well, but you know what I mean, it's like, that thing is so tiny, it's like, would the shark even know that it swallowed it, you know? I've seen that in so many shark movies that I'm like, oh, Megalodon is so big. Uh, exactly. Something like exactly. that would be like incidental. Exactly. Well, they missed a lot of opportunities to have it like swallow an entire beach full of yeah. fucking like spring break kids or something. Well, like when I see like with like I had it cruised up there and then like grind on the fucking edge of the beach like it like you see the killer whales do when they yeah. go for those seals. And then right. just fucking, like, taking all the kids as it goes along, and then go back out to see, like... Well, well, with, something, with something like with, with something like Jaws, like, they kind of explained it because of the... You know, that was, like, its prime feeding season, and, you know, it was territoriality, and it was, you know, a lot of people making disturbances in the water, and... You know, and it only ever really got, like, one person at a time, you know, and it didn't, it didn't, it didn't, like, pick... Uh, it, it wasn't like a vacuum, like, you know, just swallowing up anybody. It, it, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, the Meg, they seem to make it attack a bunch of ships, which yeah, it makes some sense, but well, at the you same gotta remember, time, too, in Jaws, the shark was near beaches, whereas yeah. here it was in the open ocean, so pretty much yeah. any activity was gonna attract it. And that's and, and that's fair. I just my no, my, larger, totally, my my larger point is more so that um, you know ge generally speaking with a lot of carnivorous animals like they if they're not hungry at that moment and if you're not necessarily like an immediate threat you know, they they don't necessarily have a reason to attack you uh, just from having seen you. Um, it's just you know when you are posing a threat, or if you're easy prey, or if they're hungry or whatever, then they'll attack you, but, like... Yeah, even the most mad eatering tiger or whatever the fuck isn't gonna just be like, human, 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 human! Yeah, ah, they're, not, they're not doing that. Yeah, and now that's not to say you should be like the tiger king and treat him like a house cat, but, you know, at the same time, it's like, you know... It, 
they are not like zombies where they'll just run at you. We're just from having seen you necessarily. Uh, you know, so that's just in the wild, you know, like the yeah. their bush rifles. Like even those targets aren't like killing every single fucking time yeah. they come across something. You know? that's, yeah, that's yeah. just a larger shark movie observation. One yeah. thing that I actually thought was interesting in this movie is that this one does not seem to completely zone in on. Whoever the, as you said, whoever the main character, whoever the, the animal that you think it's going to go for, or whatever, you know, they give you some fake outs. That dog is a fake out, but you're right. It's but the, um, you know, a couple of the characters are eaten incidentally, like they're not even the target. Um, the wall gets eaten when the shark is trying to eat the other shark, you know? It's like, mm-hmm. it's not uh, like he was targeted. Um, so they did a pretty good job of that. And That's one of my favorite scenes, by the way. Again, if you really, if you really want to get hung up on the science, you could dissect it all night and probably find all kind of things. The one, the one thing with that one scene of the shark looking dead on and then biting, that is probably the biggest fallacy I can think of, is that sharks do do not have forward set eyes. They don't have vision. So if he's looking dead on, he's not going to see what you, you know. So that would be the biggest thing. But that's like I said, you could spend all night trying to to play out. It's attention. It's like like in Finding Nemo, a good example, where the shark just comes upon him and just kind of sits there in space. Right. And then you know tells them that it's uh, that he's trying to go vegetarian. Right. So, you know, it's uh, it's all about setting it up, and that is a very effective scare when that little girl is looking head on at that shark, and it just slams down on that glass tubing. It's right. just uh, it's for the effect. It's not for realism. At that yeah. Point. Well, it's a great shot. Don't get me wrong, and it's a creepy idea. I just um, <laughs> it's curious, but like the um. And I, I'm sure that they do this. I was just curious. Um, I have not seen, and this is a point in the movie's favor, I've not seen um, a lot of shark movies where sharks will eat their own kind or, um, mm-hmm. you uh, know. Uh, sharks will cannibalize pretty much uh, all the time. I mean, that's, that's yeah, what they I would, figured. They that just, do that. Again, I was... And I, I figured they would, and that's why I was like, that's neat that they were showing that off, because not a lot of shark movies I can think of would do that. Mm-hmm. Really? And, I, yeah. and I like that the normal sharks actually ate the second Megalodon at the end. <laughs> yeah. That was an interesting climax. Well, it's kind of like at, it was kind of like at the end of uh, Jurassic Park when you see the pelicans Flying over the water is obviously yeah. the uh, well. Obviously, the birds are the natural, you know, descendants of you know the dinosaurs as well as you know reptiles. But you know, the point is they were able to escape the island, whereas the dinosaurs couldn't. You know, so um, you know, it was a good visual metaphor there. <laughs> mm-hmm. oh, wow. So we've also got the. Uh, I skipped around so much. I'm trying to figure out where we are with the play. I guess we're so discovery of the shark. We found out, or oh, oh, wait a minute, we are near some very, 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 very populous beaches. 
And I think this is the part where uh, Morris... You throw on your fucking suit with a bunch of badass anchors on it, and you say, keep those beaches open. Yeah, keep those fucking beaches open. Yeah, be like the governor of Georgia, you know, do something. Yeah, so, so Morris is saying that... Um, yeah, I called everyone. I called the Chinese government. I called the Indonesian government, the Australian government. They all know this shark is out there. And then he sneaks off to be with some of his gang, and they try to blow up the shark before anyone finds out about it. And that's when we find out that Morris really is a little bit more of a douche than we thought he was. But he's at least, you know, he's trying to take care of business. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I was gonna say, like, I don't, I don't think his reasoning is necessarily wrong, just because of the, well, the international shitstorm that would cause, plus, you yeah. know, um, you know, and and I, I still don't think he's necessarily totally above, uh, oh. you know, compassion for the people that are around him. Um, I was still kind of uh, unwise. Especially like yeah, this plan. definitely, it's yeah, definitely on too. Yeah. yeah, we're just gonna find the tracker and drop some, drop some C four on it. And uh, say, um, don't you have access to better stuff than that? You would hope so. Yeah, it did seem a little bit. Uh, it did seem a little bit like shooting from the hip, admittedly. But um, he'd have been better off sending one of his goons down uh, down into the belly of the shark. I'm gonna tell you right now, if I was a billionaire, I'm chucking that fucking syntax from that helicopter. <laughs> and actually, Why not? Okay, and actually, I was sorry, so I skipped the part where where I just talked about with the wall. So basically, they had the uh, they go out and they tried to. Uh, poison a shark they don't realize yet that there's more than one and they go out and they decide to poison one and this is where the cage comes in and where all this stuff comes in and they're out on this big boat and you've got basically you know all your main characters you know you got jonas that's eventually work yeah more or less. yeah you know that's kind of an amazing thing that this yeah. movie does so in a lot of shark movies, there's the no, there's the failed plot from Jaws. It's like okay, we're going to fill this with cyanide and like stick it in its face. Yeah. And there are so many shark movies where they do something like that and it just doesn't work. But it actually does kill like the first yeah. megalodon. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, huh? yeah, that was really ref that was really refreshing. It's like, and they know that we've seen that Jaws, and we they know we've seen Jaws, and we they know that we. Uh, know that you know Richard Dreyfuss's plan didn't work, and it's nice to see it actually work on this film and and on a much larger animal. And still, though, you still get that Jaws reference of getting the shark, but not getting the shark, because you mm -hmm. have that scene where they got a tiger shark, and you know, and in this yeah. one, a similar thing. They're like they're looking at it, and it's like. That bite radius seems kind of small, you know? Yeah, it's big, but something's off. And then, and then you've got the walrus playing in the water, uh, and right then the big shark comes up, swallows him, and the little shark, and tips the boat over. <laughs> so, one of the differences, one of the differences in the book yeah. is um, they actually kill the first shark they encounter in the trench, and they're hauling mm. the body up, mm. and... How the other shark makes it up is so in the book the sharks like are mated pairs, 
Yeah. And um, in the book, uh, since its mate is dead, the other shark starts feeding on the body. Mm. And as they are slowly raising uh, it to the surface, there's like a stream of like hot blood. That the shark kind of uses as a corridor to not freeze. Like they don't have the entire like sulfuric thing is uh, way more metal than coming through like some sulfuric (laughs) vent. Coming up in this shower of blood. It's kind of funny though. It's like your 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 mate's dead, and you're gonna get revenge, but you're also gonna feed on the body. Oh, um, sharks aren't exactly uh, emotional. Yeah, no, they're not romantic, but still, you know, I just thought that was kind of funny. Unless you're jealous, then you seek revenge. <laughs> yeah, yeah, seriously. A plot point in the book is that the um, the shark that does come up is pregnant. So there are, there are moment there are scenes where, from the shark's point of view, it's like I need everything I can get, like food wise. Mm-hmm. So that's why the shark is so. That's partially why the shark is so like aggressive. Uh, Actually, well, yeah, it makes sense. The shark has its pups um, kind of near the end, so like nobody has any idea that it was going to give birth, and it just kind of happens, and mm. nobody knows about it. Mm. And See, that would have been a sick ending for this, actually. Give birth to him right on the on the shores of Japan. On the shores of Japan, and then you see like an iguana walking over, you know, so that you know it's going to be like Godzilla versus Megalodon versus. It needs to focus on to an island home, and Betty White exits out. <laughs> she I wish I could fucking like <laughs> enlarge Betty White to kaiju size and then pilot her around. <laughs> That'd be fucking amazing. Oh god, she's never done a kaiju film, has she? No. I don't think so. Not a not a kaiju film, but she was uh, in Lake Placid. Oh, I know, I know. We, yeah, we can do we can do our first kaiju film. <laughs> Why not? Oh, God. oh spe- speaking of speaking of kaiju films, something that I didn't get to say in the Mega Shark uh, thing that we did was that I actually saw um, when uh, there was a. They're selling a, it was at the Echo Bridge version of um, Godzilla vs. Biowante that they were selling, and they actually included as two free bonus movies, 30,000 Leagues Under the Sea and uh, Mega Shark vs. Giant Octopus, and I'm like, yeah, those are totally on the same level as Godzilla vs. Biowante. <laughs> 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 I kind of want to get a copy of that, because that's... I'm sure there are shitty <laughs> transfers to them, man. But, yeah, I'm sure. And this um, this scene also featured this scene also featured one of the more insane parts, but it kind of fits with the whole idea that the shark might not be out to kill everything. Mm-hmm. And that was the part where Jason Statham uh, actually gets in the water and swims out in order to poison it. Or Jonas rather gets out and starts, sw- and then you get a nice little Finding Nemo reference in there. With the- it's really yeah. just an excuse for him to flex his abs in front of the Chinese woman and yeah. drive out there and the fucking you know. Like- it's my favorite part, actually. 
Yeah, that, that was a cute, pretty awesome. That was a cute reference, actually. <laughs> um, I thought it was cute too, and I was like, "Oh, you're little, little obvious there." Again, a lot of the jokes, easy. Yeah, they very much continue that sort of tradition of kaiju movies of having like the sexual tension that goes nowhere. Well, I actually found that kind of refreshing because they were able to have some degree of an attraction, but they didn't, like, get in bed right away, which that always uh, yeah. plugs the crap yeah, out well, of me at least, because it's like, that is so Regardless of how it played out in this one, that's that's always the fucking staple of kaiju movies, is, like, yeah, those two really, people that have some sexual tension. Yeah, she's still... But cool. it's never, it's never realized legend, in this film or in any subsequent series. It's a staple of big budget films, regardless of uh, <laughs> type. <laughs> I mean, I just I thought it was refreshing, just because uh, in a lot of like you know American like just American productions, they don't really have a lot of qualms about like jumping into bed immediately. And I'm thinking, well, yeah. in real life, typically, at least for ones that last, you know, relationships mm-hmm. tend to proceed a little bit slower than that and more organically and it seemed like they uh, were taking it at a more reasonable pace. One thing, thing, though, that I did find quite amusing and likable about the daughter was she's sitting there trying to play Cupid the whole time. (laughs) Yeah. It was kind of interesting. And not not in a typical movie movie kid fashion, you know, where Mm -hmm. they... uh, You've seen that in movies like Sleepless in Seattle and stuff, but this felt different. Right. The um, and then, uh, but along those lines, this scene also features, unfortunately, not eaten by the shark, but you see the uh, mortally wounded uh, Doctor Zhang, who doesn't quite make it back to the station, and that's you know, the battle. A little bit of pathos there. Um, and then they was start flooding. What's that? Was he wounded? I didn't remember that he'd been hurt. Oh, yeah, he was. Yeah, he was. Oh, yeah. Oh, the doctor. Oh, the other doctor. The, sec- yeah. the, the second megal- megalodon came up and right. destroyed the boat and everything. Right. Um, which is su- super fast. I thought we were talking about the, the doctor who... Um, like sacrificed himself for oh, that thing. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, and that was also um was that in that sequence? That was the follow up scene, wasn't it? Like after they went that, back well, out in the that boat? Was, uh, that was before they had gotten into the rafts. Okay. Which, yeah. That was when they went back out in the boat, right? I think that was. But yeah, so that one was uh where you see Heller after this encounter I, I think it was the second one, because I think it was after this first encounter that Heller finally goes up to Jonas and says, all right, man, uh, I owe you an apology. <laughs> and that's kind of, you know, it comes right out and apologizes, which I understand that was a bit of a change originally, too. I think Heller was a dick to the end in the book, right? <laughs> I'm not, I can't actually remember if Heller was in the book. But they can't, they can't. Yeah. This takes the premise of the book, right. but it changes a hell of a lot. Um, so the uh, but yeah, and this one he he does eventually. He eats some crow. He makes his apology, and then he gets a chance to actually have a level of redemption uh, involving 
One of the characters we didn't mention, the engineer Jax, who's played by Ruby Rose, they may find themselves in a situation where, uh, yeah, they gotta get back to the boat. And he ends up sacrificing himself so she can. Uh, which was, you know, so he kind of gets his Toshi moment, actually. Both of them kind of did the same sort of thing. Uh, I like the shark game during that sequence yeah. where the shark is like, you know, she's over there, he's over there. All of a sudden, there's like a lot of commotion over there, and the shark's like, okay. <laughs> right. And, um, okay, so you got, uh, I, yeah, I got some scenes skipped down. They go back in the boat, uh, to make things, you know, bad for the shark. <laughs> and, uh, they manage, this is the part where it goes toward the beach, and they manage to get it away from the beach. Using recordings of whale songs, I believe. Yeah. And, um, and so they've got this idea where Suyin and Jonas are going to go after it using the glider subs that they have. And a movie, a movie really picks up pace right. quite fast once the shark really appears and starts doing damage. As it should, though, because, I mean, yeah. a big shark like that isn't going to wait around, you know. Yeah. You no, know, like in, in the book, it kind of roamed the oceans for, I think, about like a week or so. <laughs> oh, but it's kind of weighed, weighed around with the D. <laughs> the um, super fast thing with those um, ships that they get into to actually mm -hmm. fight the Megalodon. Um, did anybody else notice that they kind of look like the Nebu Starfighters from episode one? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly what I was thinking. I thought it was like Star Wars from. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, they did do their job of making undersea work look cool, so, I mean, you know, it's okay if it kind of references that visually a little bit. Well, um, I was thinking that, that one of the beachgoers who was in the water, she was running around in a ball that, uh, that floated yeah. out of the water. That kind of cool. the Jurassic World crappy ball. Well, and also you get some references. You get the reference to the Alex Kintner with the little boy begging his mom to go out in the water. You get the reference to the the bears of like all those floating islands, and the shark ends up hooking one, two, and then a third one, and that's yeah. how like he could pulls the bears. One of my favorite parts. And then, so you get a lot of really that those Taiwanese. I think was it. I I don't I'm not quite sure where this actually took place. So <laughs> I didn't think it's the name of the city, but I don't fully remember. Yeah. Well, my, my favorite my favorite bit after all of that happens and the shark leaves the beach mm -hmm. uh, was the fact that that same kid. Well, not only does he live, but then he takes a bite of that popsicle, man. Yeah. He, he makes sure. He's like, yeah, you you fucking eat that popsicle. You've earned it. One thing, probably the best popsicle of his fucking life too. One thing about that scene Probably. was um, like you can the shark because it's PG thirteen. The shark kind of does a lot of its damage like off camera, so it's like you see it coming at people and then it like cuts away. Right. Which uh, like during this, you see a lot of the limitations of the rating that they had, mm -hmm. and. 
Can you imagine the carnage and, like a rated R NC-17? Oh, I was God. hoping for more carnage. Like, apparently they did shoot, like, the gore footage, but they just weren't able to, like, finish the effects because of the budget that it would take. Mm-hmm. Uh, my uh, have suffered from that recently, the one that I've been looking at is cursed. Oh, my God. Maybe they did when they make the revenue ba- uh, back, maybe they'll stick it back in. And well, it is, it is kind of set up a little bit for the sequel. Uh, which the sequel novel is The Trench, mm-hmm. um, which involves going back to the trench, and there's more down there than just megalodons. There's uh, prehistoric reptiles called mosasaurs. There are giant mosasaurs down there, too, mm-hmm. uh, spef- specifically chronosaurs. And so you get, like, Meg versus Ocean Lizard combat. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's yeah. cool. Well, it's that's a little bit cool. like uh, in Aquaman, you got to see those trench uh, creatures. And, well, that came out in the same year. And also, uh, Harry Gregson Williams did the score for that movie, too. Um, the, the score was actually pretty darn pretty good, good in Meg. Yeah, I don't remember. Not a lot of it like stuck out to me, but it was it was one of those scores that just like complements the movie, but you don't. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. not intrusive. You know what I mean? So that yeah. was cool. His, his score was really good in Aquaman too. Okay, I use that score all the time in my movies or like in my fucking reviews where when I talk about score because it's true. A good score is, like, one that you can fucking remember, obviously, but, like, you know, some scores are just meant to be there to be complimentary to the the shit, you know? Yeah. So, you hear them, but you don't listen Uh, to them. But back to to the scene, uh, one thing I noticed on this watch that I really appreciated was you get kind of a sense of the carnage we were supposed to be seeing when the shark, like, veers away... um, Lured by the whale song, uh, you can see in its ma- in its teeth that it has a lot of swimsuits and like yeah. inner tubes like stuck in it, stuck between its teeth, and it's like ooh, that's so it actually did get a lot of people. Yikes! Yeah. One one thing I do want to mention about that scene before we get away from it, we talked about the little kid. I'm looking here on the credits on IMDb, and the way he is. Credited as awesome kid on beach. <laughs> That's his character's name. Yes. Here, why the fuck not? <laughs> oh, Lord. That's awesome. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so they get it away from the beach. They they go after it in their little little uh, gliders. <laughs> they they kind of run out of ways to attack it pretty quickly. And so essentially, Simeon has to return to the surface, and Jonas keeps going at it. And this is where he has his I'm going to be the badass hero kind of moment, and goes straight at it and just guts it with the, I guess, a broken fin on the. There's like a jagged piece of metal right. like sticking out of the submersible, right. and he just pilots. He just pilots the submersible straight at the shark, and then turns and cuts like a big hole, a big yeah. hole slat right in which, it. Which, which I'm so honestly, that's I, I'm I can't believe I'm like praising all these little things about. But that makes it sound like I didn't like it. I loved it, but like I'm saying, I'm saying like all these little things that I'm noticing as I'm 
playing it back in my head, I was like, I was so glad that they thought about just very simply cutting it enough to let it bleed out. You know, it's like you don't have to do like a uh, making the shark explode because of compressed air or, you know, things like that. It's like just simply make it bleed out because, you know, it's a living thing. I like the shark actually died in Jaws. So it kind of tracks. Oh, in the, you mean in the, in the novel? Yeah, in the yeah. novel, the shark bleeds out because it's been, like, stabbed and barreled and bulleted. Yeah. Well, and also, this one, though, in the way they played it in the movie is perfectly logical. Sharks are known to be attracted to blood, and a 75-foot shark is going to contain a lot of blood. Yeah. <laughs> so, and, and, it's, and it's fitting that the uh, normal-sized... Sharks, you know, like right. the modern day sharks, uh, take down the the ancient one, right. the king of the sea, as it was called in the book. Exactly. Yeah, you neglected that Jason Statham literally challenged the Megalodon to a knife fight. Literally, yeah, but I just found that refreshing because it's such a simple thing, and it's like every other movie after Jaws was like, okay, we gotta emulate the uh, you know blowing the shark up thing, and it was. They, they got back to, uh, despite the shark being so massive, it's like they got back to basics and were like, oh, wait, yeah, this thing isn't like a indestructible monster. It's an animal, and it can bleed out, you know? Mm-hmm. It's nice that they have that kind of, like, realistic touch. I mean, it can be a little bit, like, they found an exciting way to do it, too, because usually, because in Jaws the book, like, the shark is rushing at Brody, and Brody just kind of, like, squeezes his eyes and is like, oh, God, please just kill me fast. And then nothing happens, and it takes him, like, 60 seconds to have, like, the guts to open his eyes, and the shark is just floating there. Like, it goes belly up and sinks, as yeah, much as the guts will allow it, and he's like, oh. He, like, so sort of anticlimactic. <laughs> Well, overall, the movie had a better, uh, or at least a more satisfying ending than the book did. Of course, in the book, I believe Hooper had been killed, and... Uh, oh, yeah, the shark, the shark owns the shit out of Hooper in the book. And he also it, was a... Hooper can't even, like, annihilate him. Yeah. Like, they see... The shark basically pops its head out of the water with Hooper's body, like, in its mouth, and makes Brody and Quint, like, watch him crunch it. Mm-hmm. It's it's pretty intense, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? So but, um, in in the book, the in the in the Meg book, uh, the shark is killed by Jonas pilots the sub inside it and chops his way out of it with a fossil shark tooth. Like it is it is insane, and honestly, I can see why they didn't do it here because it would have been. It would have been difficult to not make look ridiculous. Like, in the book, it makes sense, and it's really cool, but here, it's just kind of... No. Well, it, it's it's like Sharknado did it better because it had a chainsaw. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, uh, it, it kind of makes me think of, like, Watchmen, of how people would probably have been like, wait, what is this ending? If they have, like, yeah. a Watchmen. You know, people who hadn't read the comic would have been... Yeah, the the comic had all the that time and all that supplementary material to actually s- properly set up that ending, and whereas the movie you just you simply do not have time to do that. Yeah, and that movie ran very long anyway. You know. Oh yeah. Well, even the even the the, the awful theatrical cut uh, ran very long, and the the 
good ultimate cut was like three and a half hours, but like that really gave you the whole story as much as they could cram into a movie. Mm-hmm. And with like the black, with like the black freighter in there too. Kind yes, of like exactly. Without, kind of without introduction, it was a little. Uh, it was a little much for people who didn't know what the point of the black freighter story was. Like, uh, but anyway, digression aside. So the finale is is pretty cool, and uh, during the finale, there's sort of a setup for a sequel. I, I would say. Or it could be interpreted that way. So all the sharks, smelling the blood, like, rush the dying Megalodon and rip into it. And as the Megalodon is sinking, a small shark, like, swims out of its mouth. And when it cuts back to the Megalodon's body, there's there's not really an entry point, like, for a shark that size that I can see. And in the book, like, as the shark is dying, like, it has... In the book, the shark's pups are kind of followed after they, after they kill it. Uh, one of them is caught and put in an aquarium, and I think the other one just escapes into the open ocean. Mm. Oh, you know, you know what? You made me um, remember possibly my favorite moment of the whole movie. Possibly. There were a lot of favorite moments, but this might possibly be my favorite. So, okay, the Megalodon's dead, and the sharks are eating it, and Jason Statham's floating in the water. The hammerhead comes right at him, and you think, oh, God, you know, here he goes against the hammerhead. And then, you know, they, they do the, you know, the classic um, come to save the day at the last minute thing, you know, with the... Um, <laughs> and uh, the Robert Earl, like, just bonks it away. With yes, and, and it's just so... F- I laughed oh, out loud so yeah, hard because... Sound effect, too. Like, but that's why it was so great, because it was like, you think, like, it's so dramatic, but not only do they make it, like, a deliberate anticlimax, but the sound that they use is, like, a bug. And, but it's not even all that loud. It's just, like, so, such a, like, a throwaway sound. And it, it is like, oh, my God, I laughed so hard. And I rewound it several times. I was, well, I rewound it several times because I was just laughing my ass off. I was like, I don't know why. That just struck me so funny. And <laughs> so I like the comic scene in uh, Jurassic Park where he slips and falls. <laughs> yeah, kind of, yeah. But it's, like, possibly even more, like, you know the like the sound effect like it actually sounds like it would have you know that that sounds like what that body hitting that metal frame would have sounded like and yet it still had that kind of cartoony like bunk you know kind of sound <laughs> i don't know why that just that possibly was my favorite moment just because it like they could have played it up as like the big climactic you know da, 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 kind of hero coming in to save the day kind of moment and it serves that function but like it just, it comes across as such a, like, throwaway moment, and it's so great. There was another one, a little, a few, a few moments before that, when all the sharks kind of swarm, when all the sharks swarm the Megalodon, like, a shark kind of veers towards Jason Statham, and then it kind of shakes its head, like, eh, and goes right for the Megalodon. <laughs> it's like... Yeah, gotta, gotta have priorities. Well, it's the easier meal, I think. Yeah, um, yeah I mean... Predators like that function. Uh, yeah, in, in in nature, they tend to go for the path of least resistance when it comes to a meal for good reason because they don't want to get killed themselves. Now, getting injured is pretty uh, pretty bad for like a predator for a predatory animal, so they have to do a lot of risk assessment. 
mm-hmm. uh, which is why a, a lot of sharks have eyes that roll back into their skulls mm-hmm. for, for that reason, because their eyes are very sensitive. And so when he, there's a moment where he's able to like stab it in the eye. I was kind of mm-hmm. like, wouldn't it have? Well, maybe not. Like if it's only going after like squid. Now, squid do have sharp parts, but um, well, I, I liked it, the fact that well, he does stab in the eye, which is pretty gnarly. And then when the megalodon actually dies, I like that its eyes do roll back in its head, and it looks really creepy when it does that. That was a nice touch. Yeah, I liked that. You know, stabbing this massive creature in the eye didn't just automatically kill it like it would in probably a lesser movie. Yeah, or a smaller shark, you know, which it probably wouldn't even necessarily kill it fully there either, but, you know, it's certainly would have pissed it off. There's a movie called, I think it's Shark Attack 2. For for real, that's what they're called, man. Shark Attack 1, 3. In Shark Attack 2, these two two divers are, like, they're they're sisters, and they're just on a dive, and a shark, like, attacks one one of them. And it just keeps, like, biting into the one sister while the other one is just, like, stabbing at it. And she stabs one of its eyes out, and it looks like it should be, like, fatal. Uh, but the shark is fine, and that's how they, like, identify that shark for the rest of the movie. Like, it gets captured by an aquarium, and she breaks into the aquarium with a gun. <laughs> I mean, on the one hand, you understand. On the other hand, it's, it's not a good movie. The Meg is definitely a good shark movie. Like, you like shark movies, and you have some measure of taste, you should enjoy this movie. And if yeah. Not, you don't know. Right. So, before we, uh, it's getting really here, we probably yes. should make some time for special effects and for various production aspects. Does anyone have any uh, lead-in comments on the effects or anything on those ones? Very good. Um, I wish we had been able to get like the really nasty, like gore stuff that this movie honestly really needed. I think that's kind of a point of disappointment for Steve Alton himself. Um, is that they couldn't really do? They couldn't make it like a really like nasty horror movie. Yeah, I mean, or it, they could have done like a unrated cut or something. You know, like that would have been cool. Yeah, apparently it would have just been too expensive to finish a lot of the effects. And I, I can understand that. I mean, it's it's a little bit like, uh, well, and obviously you have to think about the economics of a movie that big and everything. Like, it's like why there wasn't the hard R uh, Venom movie, at least not to start off with. I guess the sequel is going to be that way, but, you know, it's like you have to think about, like, what all financially is at stake. And Shark is very good and very... Uh, very not cheap looking, so I'm yeah. sure every scene that the shark is involved in cost an unbelievable amount of money, because their shark I'm, is very sure. And one of the big things that I think is worth noting, or has to be noted, is that a very, very large percentage of this film was either shot on or in the water, and that is definitely not an easy thing, it's definitely not a cheap thing to pull off. Mm-mm. And uh, actually, I saw in the uh, interview, John Turtletop was saying that uh, he'd never done a movie on the water before, and uh, he learned a lot. <laughs> I should think so. <laughs> well, well, I mean, at the very least, they had a lot more 
technological luxury than uh, they had making Jaws, you know, which was also filmed on the real ocean and, you know, much to their regret. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but it resulted in a great film. Um, very quickly, I don't know if anybody um, was watching the 4K uh, disc that I was watching. Uh, you were watching book. <laughs> I'm I yeah, I have the steelbook too, but like, I don't know if anybody else noticed this. I don't know if it was this way in the theater, so I don't know if it was like shot this way or if it was just the transfer or what. I noticed that on when it was playing back on my TV that a lot of the, uh, like the, the highlights of the frame, like let's say, you know, light reflected off of Jason Statham's head, uh, but a lot of like the highlights in the frame, like they could be really, really bright and really kind of washed out. And, uh, you know, movie, like I didn't notice specifically that, but mm-hmm. it, was, it had a very bright presentation. Yeah, which, which on the one hand, like the overall picture quality was really, really crisp, and that was nice. Um, I mean, that obviously, you know, more light in the camera, crisper picture, but I just I wasn't sure if it was just because they shot in bright, you know, natural Pacific Ocean, you know, daylight. Or if it was something having to do with how it was transferred, but yeah, I, I did notice that there was a lot of kind of washing out of the highlights in the frame, and of um, yeah, it did did give some people's like skin tones a little bit of an uneven look. Um, but again, that for all I know, that could just be a function of uh, having shot in real Pacific Ocean uh, daylight, heavy sunlight. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, the Pacific Ocean and the open ocean specifically, it's like you're getting bombarded with tons of light and there's not a whole lot you can do about it, so. Yeah, it's intense enough that um, a lot of animals that are like open ocean like that, like, have to have some kind of UV protection, like, extra. Oh, yeah. And yeah, I mean, I, I would, really, I would very, I would very readily chalk it. I would very readily chalk it up to uh, just the natural lighting of shooting out in the open ocean, but it was just an observation. Right. All right. Anything else on those? Any effects? I know we covered the music already. We do get a moment where we see like a severed arm, and you get kind of an idea of the sort of like nastiness that this could have had. And it's, it makes you want more. <laughs> so, find those boats, those uh, shark poacher boats that were destroyed by the Meg. Uh, which, um, it seems like when, when I first saw this, I thought, oh, they're, the only people the shark is going to get to kill are, like, the main cast and, like, you know, people doing illegal things. But uh, apparently not. Uh, on that beach scene, so I thought the only, you know, kind of civilian casualties were going to be those fisher, those shark fishermen. Uh, so I thought I was trying to make some kind of statement with that, but uh, I was proven wrong. Right. Worth commenting on anyway. Right. Hmm. Well, in that case, are the Most definitely. All right. Then I guess we're ready to go. Huh? Um, What's your favorite? Uh, I have actually two scenes. Uh, the obvious one for me was just the scene where the shark floats up to the little girl and takes that bite out of the glass. That is just, uh, to me, it's an epic, frightening scene. Uh, but I 
also love when they first break through the surface of that like uh, thing into the deep deep trench and reveal that kind of underwater world that's just uh, amazing and uh, bewildering at the same time. Mm -hmm. Good deal. Uh, Oh. Hey, Mo, you there? I think he might be asleep. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Dustin? <laughs> uh, well, as for favorites, uh, the Underwater World was a pretty cool sequence. Like, I think I, I like the thing with the squid the most, where they introduce the shark, like, in full. Um, there was one thing I noticed, like, during the prologue, when we see Jason Statham's fateful decision to have to ditch those guys. Uh, one thing I didn't notice the first couple of times I saw this movie, but I did this time, was that you can see the shark get blown up in the explosion. <laughs> like, it's not very clear. It's kind of like, just like a shape, but you see chunks of meat caught up in the explosion, and they are large. <laughs> well, it's probably, uh, probably a third megalodon for all we know. Well, for the species to survive, there would have to be several of them, so there are probably hundreds of megalodons down. I would, I would think so. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, for them would be uh, woof, a challenge, to put it mildly. So they couldn't have like a huge population, but there would have to be a lot of them. Oh, yeah. yeah, and probably spread out pretty far, you know. Yeah, worldwide in like those ocean trenches, especially if squid-like what we see that sequence are common down there, which uh, a lot of evidence suggests that they are. Just like the volume of giant squid beaks found in whales' stomachs, it's like they are. The worldwide population of big squid like that is well into the thousands, probably greater. Yeah, just so damn deep. Uh, I mean, like, you, can, you can, the stomach contents of one whale will have, like, 200 of those beaks, because the beaks don't digest very well, so it takes a while. Yeah. I guess, I guess my favorite four spots, and, and I can't really put it down to one, because uh, there are several favorites, is, uh, of, of course, the jaw scene. Uh, that, that's, that's a given. But, um... Uh, moving forward, as I think I said before, I like that part where Jason Statham is singing, let's keep swimming, let's keep swimming, and then of course, of course no, when, don't worry. I forgot about that. <laughs> when the mama comes and, and just eats the child, uh, <laughs> I mean, you don't expect well, I mean, it's Dead and it's dripping a lot of blood into the ocean. <laughs> yeah. So uh, and uh, of course the the beach scene after the, uh, that where uh, where they do that aerial scene and all those tubes look like Cheerios to me. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> As I was watching that uh, that scene with uh, with my fiance, I was like, "Hey, it's that new tropical brand of Cheerios." Yeah, they use that shot in the marketing a lot. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's a good shot. Like I, uh, I, I really do wish we'd gotten to see more carnage there. Uh, think like, think like, Piranha 3D. Like I could imagine that scene going like that. 
Metal Life. 3D had some awesome carnage. Like it, the... it did, but it was, I mean, that's actually kind of it's kind of the opposite situation because uh, it's kind of the opposite situation because they're um, they're normal piranha sized. There's just a lot of them, and they're you know hideously mutated or whatever. <laughs> uh, their explanation is they're like prehistoric or something, but I, I wish yeah that. I wish we could have blended this movie a little bit. Like, I wish we could have taken away maybe 15-20% from Piranha 3D because it goes, honestly, kind of way too far in that big sequence and just, like, give it to the Meg. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, I, I loved how crazy the ending to Piranha 3D was. Too much dick-ripping on camera for me. Pretty much what? Too much, like, dick-ripping and, like, faces being pulled off. It's oh, like, that, yeah. Oh, we were having a good time. We're not quite in the mood for this right now. So, dang, what's well, I, I was in the mood for that. Um, well, my favorite moment easily was um, at the very end with the hammerhead. I thought that was just so funny. Okay. And, um, is Kim still there? Did you want to give a favorite? Uh, let me see. Hello? Always checking. Man, is everybody passed out? <laughs> no, I'm so passed out. Oh my lord, we've been on for two hours. Yeah. How did we all We're wrapping up, I promise. <laughs> yeah. We'll just move on. Okay. Well, I'll go ahead and say, um, I have trouble picking a clear favorite. I think that one scene with the, the shark and the girl is like the most visually arresting scene, probably. Um, there were a lot of little moments I enjoyed. You know, there are definitely a lot of little, little bits here and there. Uh, I'm not sure I can pick one that stands right out. Um, I, I do have a question. Uh, what happened to the engineer lady? Because I looked away from the screen for a couple minutes, and she was just suddenly gone. Huh? I, I think she lived to the end. She survived. I think she did too. It's like I was looking for her on the boat at the end, and they're all kind of like, "Yeah, we did it," and I spot her. Well, and I never did mention Mac Cliff Curtis's character and Statham's old buddy. He was fun. I believe he made it too. <laughs> I believe at the end you had let's see, you had uh, Jonah seeing uh, your spoilers, by the way. <laughs> oh, well, anybody who knows us knows we. we into spoilers pretty hard. Jodice, and I think Mac, Mayin, Jax, and DJ, I think were the ones still there. And Lori, I guess we're still the ones at the end. But the killing is annihilated with his stupid whale plan. Yeah. 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 Good fake out death there, and then he actually does get eaten right after that. Which, um, one su super quick interjection. I noticed that. Did anyone notice that his uh, ex-wife in the thing? She looks a lot like a younger Sharon Stone to me. Yeah, I can't say I noticed, but I think so. Yeah, she did. She did look a lot like that. Mm. Okay. So, uh, I guess we're ready to wrap it up. Uh, we're ready to go to personal. Yes. Pros. Yeah, I'll, I'll go first, so I'm going to get out of here. Okay. So, uh, I'm Dustin, also known as the Crypto Horrors. So, I live here in Milwaukee, 
and collect uh, horror movie stuff whenever I go out, which uh, isn't really happening anymore, uh, apparently. So uh, I, uh, I show off my ridiculous collection on my YouTube channel, The Crypt of Horrors, and my Instagram, The Crypt of Horrors. I can sometimes be found on Twitter. Uh, we're working on rebranding as Cryptaxis, so I'm Der Cryptaxis on Twitter now. <laughs> and uh, yeah, um, come check out all the random stuff I do. So I have a Facebook page too, but honestly, I don't update it. So <laughs> Apartment of Horror Inc. Because I'm starting to not like the sound of Crypt of Horrors as much. <laughs> Uh, and it feels like I accidentally ripped it off of the movie Crypt. Well, <laughs> no, I'm going to go ahead uh, after because I, I want to go ahead and sign off so I can... Yeah, I'm going to sign off now. Yeah. So. Hi, guys. This is great. Well, I'll, I'll go after you, Brandon, because, yeah, yeah, I'll sign off, too. So, uh, I'm a Septum Sen of Septum Sen versus the World. Uh, we are all about that physical media stuff here on our channel. Uh, we like uh, DVDs, Blu-rays, 4K, you name it. That's kind of stuff we uh, go over. We do uh, video reviews, and uh, we do various other top ten lists. Of course, during the uh, virus, we do, well, uh, well, we try to do what we can do. In the meantime, I do have a couple of reviews coming out in the near future. Um, we just uh, I just did a uh, request for uh, Love Lab, which is an anime that is um, uh, was requested by a viewer, and uh, we have two others that are coming out: uh, High Eight and High Death, which will be fun. They're great anthology films. Of course, if you haven't seen the interview we did with Evan Jacobs, I. Uh, I uh, worked with uh, Dave to put that together. That was really nice. And uh, you can get that on his channel. Also, I helped uh, come up with the uh, order and scheduling. So our next one coming up is going to be the Quest for Fire, which is a lovely Oscar-winning film, which I've never seen, but I can't uh, wait to check out. And pre-show apparently is going to be the film Pathfinder for those of you who are interested in knowing that. Um, Kim, do you have anything you wanted to say um, about yourself? Nope. Okay. Moving on. <laughs> okay. Um, well, um, I'm Dane Kyle. I'm an independent writer, director, producer, and um, I've done a lot of uh, segments for anthology feature films like Folio Many and Clown Exploitation and um, Creepypasta Deathnet and um, a bunch of other ones that are coming out, um, Faces of Fear, and um, been going through a lot lately and uh, just recently got moved into a new place and trying to find another job amidst all this coronavirus nonsense and... Uh, but trying to get back into the game of, well, podcasting like this, but then also, um, you know, going to try and do a YouTube channel devoted to uh, Blu-ray collecting if I can, just because it's something I would enjoy, in addition to writing feature film scripts that I can hopefully sell in the near future. And uh, so with that, I will say goodnight to everyone. Night. Night. Alright, and I am Cody Bookie Jake. I am frequently, uh, I help in Septum Sun vs. World. I 
as he said, we're doing our best in these times to continue to put out good content, and uh, hopefully you're having fun with that, and uh, I continue to watch and collect and do what I can, and uh, have fun on this channel as well, and that's uh, <laughs> <laughs> all I have to say, mate. <laughs> my name is David Stregge, I uh, am one of the founding fathers of uh, Inside Movies Galore, this channel that you are listening in on, and uh, um, but I have I run it with uh, most of the uh, this motley crew that uh, slowly is disappearing and fading into the night. So, uh, um, but, but I also run a different channel uh, called Delusions of Grandeur, where I do a video. Um, pickups and uh, video reviews definitely check some of those out. Um, I do have some newer reviews out out there that uh, are traveling the uh, uh, the webosphere. Um, and uh, um, on a side note, I think sometime tomorrow, uh, interview will appear of uh, uh, that I did with Joseph Kelly earlier today. Um, uh, so, I'm not sure when that will, uh, will appear, but uh, I, I guess it will appear sometime. Sometime. <laughs> but, uh, uh, but in any case, uh, definitely check some of, the, um, some of the discussions that have gone on about. I just recently did some... <coughs> Larry, Larry Blameyer films. Pardon me. Um, with uh, my Croatian friend Boris, so check uh, that out. We just recently did uh, an interview, uh, Brandon and I, uh, with uh, Evan Jacobs. So definitely check that out. And uh, next week, uh, like we said, we're go going on with uh, Quest for Fire, and before that, uh, a film called uh, Pathfinder. Uh, 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 um, so uh, definitely check that out next uh, next week Tuesday. Um, and uh, we'll definitely have some more fun. So, in any case, uh, uh, like, share, and subscribe. Thank you for listening. And have a great day, evening, and morning, wherever you are. Uh, I would stay away from the ocean anytime soon. <laughs> you, <laughs> you never know what kind of creature is lurking within the darkest uh, 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 and deepest corners of the ocean. <laughs> this is called a neuralizer. It's a gift from some friends from out of town. This red eye here will isolate the electronic impulses in your brains, and more specifically the ones for memory. Oh, that's good, fellas. Give me a splay burn around the perimeter with holes at 40, 60, and 80 meters from right here. Thank you. Thank you. What in the hell is going on? Excellent question. And the answer you're looking for lies right here. Who are you? Really? Really? I am just a figment of your imagination. Damn, what a good old breed.